Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Constructed Criticism. I'm your host, Easy, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. A man who somehow has the reddest beard on this podcast, which doesn't seem possible, Mason Clark. I have a redhead. I'm a red beard. No, you don't. I I do. I actually do have a red beard. I mean, not compared to you, but I I do, in fact, have a red beard, Mason. You have a... An orange beard. It's got a little blonde in it. There's blonde and brown in it. It's actually why it's orange. Fun fact. Uh, and don't, the, don't talk colors to me. I, I can't speak colors. I can't do math. <laughs> Math's for blockers. <laughs> and we are also joined by none other than the third member of the San Diego CC crew, Abe Stein. You know, I have some red in my beard too. I just wanted to say that. I know that. I know that you're really. I'm really trying to dodge the acceptance of the fact that I did indeed win an RCQ over the weekend uh, after losing a bunch of finals matches and talking about it for the last couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, figured I'd join in the beard, the beard conversation that maybe I, me and your... Spencer combined. No, definitely not. My beard is so much redder than yours. I have a question. Do you have Do you have red hair, Abe? Is you, do you dye your hair? No, I don't. I just wear a red beanie. Okay. All right. That's not that's what the show is. That's not what the show is about. We're done talking about beards and hair. Uh, if you want to decide, uh, you know what what it's you know if you want to see all of this, I feel like Mason cheats though because he wears a lot of yellow to emphasize the red of his beard. But you know if you want to talk about style, <laughs> you'll you'll never grow a study, Mason. Just like our next segment, always improving. Always improving is the point of the show. We want to be doing what we can every week to be improving. I want to go first. Um, this has been a pretty huge week for me. Um, was besides, you know, if you're watching the video podcast, me making Mason not be able to breathe through my seamless transitions. That's um, a great transition. I, <laughs> it was really I, good. I, I also just like, whoo. Uh, I, I've it's been a it's been a hard week for me from like a personal level, from like understanding myself level, and. Uh, you know, it made my depression really bad. For those who don't know, you know, I have a a, a, a diagnosis so long, I'm not going to look it up and say it on this podcast, but uh, things uh, were not going well for me mentally. And uh, I decided Saturday night to take an end to that and, and to make Sunday really meaningful. Um, so I took some W's. Uh, the first thing that I did was to help my wife uh, let her sleep in. I got breakfast for the kids and her and coffee. Um, woke up uh, pretty early, around 6 a.m., to make sure that I was awake before the kids so that none of them woke her up. Uh, and then kind of took some time to, like, look at deck lists, do different things that would make me happy in that time. Uh, and it's so, it's so funny... Um, We'll get into this later, but the importance of, like, I'm the type of person that's really empathetic, so, like, making my wife happy and giving her opportunities makes me really happy, which makes things like magic a lot easier for me. And so, when looking at magic, I was like, you know what? I actually have been 3 doing a lot this week on Arena. Um, I even played I even played some magic online where I lost to Andy in pathetic uh pathetic effort that you can watch on uh on the YouTube channel. Uh not that that matchup is good. I'd be the first to admit that I was wrong there. Um but what what matchup? No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> just it kidding. was Phoenix versus Mono Blue. I, I, I mean I think I said in the video that like I expected to lose. 
But I think that just this last week, there was so much going on in my head that taking the opportunity to kind of do different things was really important. So um, one of the things that I've talked about on the show is how important like deck selection is for me and like how being happy is important to me. And last night, the goat, that's right, I said the goat of Melee, HBox posted a video where he did an interview where he talked about how important happiness was for him. And um, uh, uh, for those who know, like the last X years of my life, I've been chasing money to support my family. I've been chasing a lot of different things. And, and HBox made this comment about wealth and about like, wealth in time, wealth in happiness, wealth in friends, um, wealth in monetary value and the five ways of wealth. And one of the things that was really interesting to me is that when I play my best magic, uh, I feel, I feel some of those things. Um, uh, I took a job a few years ago where I worked for a company that helped children. And I thought that that would bring me the most happiness possible. I am a very empathetic and altruistic person. I thought it was going to be my dream job. Like I literally get to do what I do for a living and it helps save kids lives. And it was miserable and it made me really, really depressed. It made me upset. It made me resentful. It made me miserable all the time. And I could no longer use a, use magic as the escape that I love to use it as. Uh, and it was really hard. Um, and this week I got, because I I'm jobless and I, I'm thinking about things differently. I got to really think about that. And one of the things that I thought about, was like, okay, well, why did smash make you happy during that same time? Um, what, what was, what was, what were things going on there? And, uh, I was thinking about this while playing Smash, um, and I realized that I was 7-0 and on ladder. And for those who don't know me, I hate ladder play. Like, I hate it on Arena. It was like, until they introduced like these new leagues, I hated Arena. I hate ladder play a lot. I think that it provides very little. I was like, well, wait a second. You hate ladder. You lose in ladder a lot. Why are you suddenly 7-0? and sitting here having this thought on on quick play, which is way worse than anything Magic has ever done, just to be clear. <laughs> uh, like, and it was because I was able to break things down into micro problems and do the things that I liked that night. And I approached, I actually approached Magic that way today. Um, and I found some real happiness playing Magic um, playing multiple decks. And I think that the, the, the summation and the, the culmination of everything I'm saying here is that, um, I always recommend this book called managing oneself. It's like a Harvard, Harvard business, business review book, but I was not preaching what I meant and like what I believed in. Um, I was not doing a ma good job of managing myself and understanding, like taking mental inventory of what was making me happy. What was, what, what were the things that I liked about magic versus just winning? What were the things that I liked about the things that I was doing? 
Uh, and today I had a ton of fun playing Magic. And one of the things that I liked about that RC that I just won wasn't even the winning. It was breaking things down into individual problems and an understanding of, of things. And I don't know. I It was specifically today, at the day of recording, uh, was a pretty big day for me in Magic in how I'm going to approach things moving forward to be not only like a better magic player, but like a better content producer. Awesome. That's great. That, that is, uh, some big picture stuff and some big, uh, big kind of like core concepts and something's a lot heavier than, you know, sometimes always improving things about, but these things are, are part of it too. So thank you for opening up and uh, sharing that with us. Thanks Mason. Um, uh, you're actually up next unless Abe has anything to add. I just want to say that I think there's never a bad time to ask yourself why it is you like playing Magic and what it is you like about it because yeah, you know, to touch on what we talked about last week in Mental Game, like if you're going to invest the energy, you need to make sure you're getting what you want out of it and it's going to help you in so many ways to do that. And um, if you lose touch of that and lose sight of that, uh, it it only makes it harder to to really engage. And so I'm really glad that's something that you found because that's that's the most important always improvement you can have, right? Is something that's going to lead to you engaging in a way that makes you happier because ultimately that's the most important thing about. Yeah, and you all should see my mono blue list. It's lit. Like, been playing mono blue all day today in standard. Oh, before preparing for these standard coverage. Islands are good, man. Uh, Mason, what about you? What have you been doing to improve a match this week? Uh, so I went and I played uh, the NRG Showdown uh, in Kentucky on Saturday and drove home and did the commentary on Sunday. But um, we talked about a little bit last week about how I was trying to play Hammer Time and get ready for it. And it's always different playing events versus getting ready for events and sort of game time. And it's like, okay, you can kind of know these things and do these. But like when the money's in the line, it's like a 15K, it's like a good chunk of change up for grabs like top 16 is like 300 bucks you know nothing to shake a stick at and uh, a lot more if you top eight along with just like if if you top eight and one you got into their players championship at the end of the year which you know like would be a really cool thing to spike so like it really mattered and uh, i was really happy with my play outside of everything except for one specific game where i think i really mismanaged that game back that was game two and i got back together in game three put myself in a good spot and i was just really happy with how much I had learned about Hammer in just sort of the two weeks and have it, sorry, the two and a half weeks there and have it realized and put into practice and just sort of things like getting really good at, I can afford to just not even expose eight here and sort of hold the whole combo in hand and just develop a board. And eventually my opponent's going to feel safe and then I can unload my deck so cheap. And uh, part of that is in part due to Abe suggesting to play another land and just having like a lot of mana at all times to be able to do things and also just, a better understanding of like, oh, it is good to like go aid Memnite and then hammer it on two. Like that is strong. But sometimes it's better just to put some things in play and hold the aid and wait for the hammer to come along and then expose everything outside of stuff, even like prismatic ending, et cetera, they might do. And sometimes in matchups where maybe you think that you just want to make sure you're set for hammer immediately, it's better to get them to expose themselves to getting hammered. So uh just things like that a bit a bunch of other small micro things uh but yeah i was just really happy with the play of hammer and i definitely have a long way to go on hammer uh by all means but it was looking at where i was i guess right before thanksgiving when i bought the deck 
to now. So that's about three weeks. Uh, I was really happy with how much I've improved with the time I was able to put into it. And I'm happy with the whole process, everything. And I'm probably going to keep playing it at least until the new year. And it's been really fun. And the active improvement has been good. So. I, I thought that your, your notes there were just really valuable. I hope that people who are interested in the deck listen to it. Abe, what about you? Yeah, so um, as Mason said, we actually talked about Hammer Time a lot. I wound up playing, and we said in the upcoming episode, I played an RCQ that was, um, I said on Twitter it was about 90 people. There were 90 people show, who were registered, but then a bunch of them dropped or didn't show up on the day of. And it was actually 75 people, but it was a 75-person one-slot RCQ that I won with Hammer Time. Um, and while I could talk a lot about how great Hammer is and you know how much I've actually really enjoyed I really enjoyed that conversation we were able to have, Mason, about, like, where you were at with the deck, where you basically played it for, like, two weeks without us really talking about what was going on in the games, um, except for maybe some mulligan decisions and stuff, and you kind of give me where your head was at and what you had experienced, and then kind of living that against what I experienced, and that was a really valuable conversation for me, um, especially in talking about Springleaf Drum and coming to the determination that I really did want another land, and, um, yeah, like seeing you have a really good run, um, playing seventy three the same seventy five that I played at this RCQ was was really great. But at the RCQ, where I really realized um, kind of just a bigger improvement that I need to make because it almost cost me the tournament a couple times um, over the course of the day. I, I started with my back against the wall, um, losing to Yogmoth in the first round, and then I found myself in the last two rounds before I'd be able to draw on a top eight down the stretch playing against Breach and playing against Burn. And in both of these games, I was like, I had reached what I consider to be the end game for Hammer, where I either am playing out the last turn where either my opponent is dying or they're going to be put in a position where they can no longer win, um, or it's the last point where I get to really make a decision that impacts things. And I'm going to have my one Hammered creature, and I'm going to be attacking with it every turn, and this is going to be what ends the game in two turns, depending on what they draw, or um like we're probably done here and i found myself making um making the same kind of mistakes i've made in the past where i'll think through something not think it all the way through and then give my opponent an opportunity to punish me with like an extra turn that i'm giving them that i'm leaking in my game and what i started to do this weekend was that i after it happened against breach and against burn where i changed off of a line that was a deterministic winning line against my opponent's one card in hand to a line that wound up giving them a chance to draw exactly Boros Charm off the top to go to game three, um, was to start defining these as endgame mistakes. And for me, the concept of an endgame mistake now is where I believe that I have... Right, I'm just executing an endgame like you would in chess, right? In chess, the game gets down to so many points that are have so few pieces that everything is actually pretty rote. There's, there's a way you can memorize every way that you play out the end of the game from a certain point, and it's deterministic who wins as long as you do it correctly, responding to however your opponent decides to make their like two choices they can make. And what I need to stop doing wrong, and something I've realized is when I've reached an endgame, I need to change the way that I'm processing my incoming information, because it doesn't matter what I draw for turn. In, if, that, if drawing for turn the hammer that means I can close the game is the deterministic play, right? And every time it's easy and it's not, you know, a complicated line, I would just cast it, put it on the thing, they take 10, they die. Um, but really thinking about these as, okay, I'm in the end game. 
what I already need to do is determined. No new information matters. There's no reason to deviate. I don't care if I think about it because I'm still thinking about the game very actively. My mind's moving a mile a minute trying to think of all of my possible lines. If it wins, it wins. And really hammering that into myself of like from now on being like, if I have the winning line and I'm sure of it and I look th- look at the board, look at the cards they could have, I can, I've thought of everything and this is one winning line to just cut myself off there and stop thinking and just execute. Because really where I've found that reflecting on a lot of these errors that I've made over my magic career is that it is just losing sight of where I'm where I've where I've already I've already found the winning line. Yeah. I knew what it was the whole time. Why didn't I do it? And it's because I spent that next second being like, oh, or I could do this. And it's like, no, dude, like yeah. this is the end game. You're in it. You know how to play it out. Just execute and and really um I've had, I've had this as problem. As I was grateful to win the RCQ, it, it was the biggest thing that I learned, and and I'm gonna try to take with me um, from that event into the future. I really appreciate that. That that's that really spoke to me. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Abe, but that that spoke to me a lot. That's something that you know when I talked about slowing down today. This is like one of the things that I meant, where it was like don't not overthinking is part of slowing down. It's not just slowing down your play, which I think a lot of people would take that as, but it's actually slowing down your brain. Um, and that can sometimes be hard to do. Mason, you had something you want to say there? No, I just, uh, I agree basically kind of with what you said there. I think you kind of summarized what I was going to say. Awesome. Well, if you want to uh, support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash ccmd. You become a patron of the show. Uh, it means a lot to us. Uh, if you want to watch these shows live, we, not every week, but most weeks, uh, we we post a link on Patreon for patrons of five dollars or more, as long as well as on the Discord uh, for the live episode. You could have you could have seen bonus content happens in those live episodes, stuff like that. So head on over do that. Um, really quickly, just want to give a shout out to our patron over at Greenbird Lehigh. You can use the code CCMDG10 to get ten percent off your first order. They are pretty awesome. I'm actually gonna go there tomorrow to give out credit to. Uh, you know, all, all of the podcasts as well as the, the tournament that we just ran. Um, and I'm actually doing coverage both Saturday and Sunday this weekend. Um, hopefully, uh, one of my co-hosts will join me, but I, you know, I got Patty B on Saturday. Um, the, there's, there's a ton of things, uh, in the He's a Game Media Discord, our, our parent Discord, uh, people are flying out to these 2Ks, you know, just double slot 2Ks. Um, 2Ks guaranteed with flight and hotel to first place. Um, it's it's fun. It's 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 a good time, and we I'm just really glad we have a sponsor like that. Like, not only do they ship nationwide for their cards, but they're like they're the place to support competitive magic. Like in in this side of the U.S. that they it's it's really cool. Um. That's going to do it. I'm going to pop it over to Mason. As Mason, you're going to introduce our guest. And we are actually joined today by a special guest, a player of the year. I'm sure he's not tired of hearing that. Connor Mullaly has joined us in the podcast a day after locking it up for NRG championships. If you've been following the NRG circuit, Connor here. Uh, has come on and is going to talk to us about improving in Magic and Player of the Year. But Connor, 
I think we'd be remiss if we just didn't start with how's it feel to be player of the year and sort of get it in that sort of crazy nail biter race too. If you weren't watching live, Connor had to play against Jesse Robkin, who guests on the show a couple uh, months ago now. And if Connor had not beaten Jesse, Jesse could have potentially passed Connor, but Connor had to, if Connor beat Jesse, then she lost it. And it's a situation where it's a win in for top eight as well. So there's a lot on line. Mm-hmm. How does all that feel, Connor? How are you feeling after all of that? It was a really incredible feeling. Um, I'm happy to win, happy to be able to compete with such um, players as, you know, you mentioned Jesse, good friend of mine, um, good player on the rise, not better than me at Magic. And then Zach Allen, who is someone who's been um, really a mentor for me and a big support to me as I've kind of come up in the game. And so being able to compete with the two of them is awesome and winning feels winning feels really sweet because of it. Mm-hmm. Now, a little inside information for our listeners. How did last year's NRG Champs race go? So last year's NRG Champs was um, a much shorter season. It was only three event weekends, so six total events. Um, and I came up two points short when my friend Dominic Palercio, I needed him to not make the finals of the last tournament of the year. And he made the finals of the last tournament of the year when I had lost a win and in for top eight. And that was a tournament that I really wanted to top eight. And you know, unfortunately wasn't able to close the deal. And so I was kind of beating myself up for that. And then I kind of told everyone that I would be giving it my best effort this year and that I would make it to the championship. Um, I locked that up in August by winning, winning one of the showdowns, but I never really thought that I could be, you know, at the top of the leaderboard. I just hadn't had a very good year up until August. And so being able to kind of turn my year around and I've been luckily just on a really, really hot streak lately is kind kind of an awesome, you know, start to finish here for the last 365 days. Sure. You mentioned turning it around and I kind of want to lean into that for a second. Do you think there was a specific thing that happened? Did your process kind of change any, what, what is the difference or was it sort of just a moment of confidence? You know, we always talk about here how like your first RCQ win mm-hmm. or the first time you top it at an event, that's kind of getting the monkey off your shoulder that like, can I do this? Can mm-hmm. I not? After winning the showdown, did it feel like, wait, maybe I can do this. What, what was the difference? Um, nothing particularly changed. So the event that we won, uh, I won with Theo and Matt, just two of my good friends. Um, and I would say that I prepared for that event. I think that I had like a good mindset for that event. I also think that I had two really good teammates and we got really lucky for the weekend. And that was, that was awesome. Um, I'm saying um a lot. I haven't done, I haven't done public speaking like this in a while. So fun fact behind that, I wouldn't worry about it too much because people actually hate it when there are no ums on a podcast. They actually find, yeah. So you would think, you would think that it would bug people, but there's, Mm -hmm. as long as you're not doing it every other word, it actually doesn't bug people because it makes them feel a part of the conversation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that Fun too much. Fact. That's good to know. Yeah. When, when I edited my own show, I edited out all the ums all the time. And some mm-hmm. feedback from some people was the conversation feels unnatural at points. Sure. Just because, you know, people don't speak that smoothly all the time. The, there are natural pauses in conversation that, that people expect to hear um, that. Yeah. I, th- I think you're doing a great job, Connor. Don't, don't stress it too much. Nice little peek behind the curtain there for all you at home and for me. I think that a big shift that happened was I had been patting myself on the back a lot for a lot of um, not finishes that weren't what I wanted them to be. So I went X and two at like half of the events for the first half of the year, most of the events. And I was like, yeah, good finish. Cool. Well done. And I also wasn't really preparing for those tournaments. I was just like, I'll play the best I can modern and go seven two. Sure. Why not? And then my friends were just kind of like, okay, but is this really how you want to be doing? And then I kind of had a mindset shift where I'm like, okay, my goal is to win tournaments and to top eight tournaments, not just to, 
you know, not, you know, make the elimination rounds. So a little bit of a mindset shift. And also I just started getting a little bit luckier, like, you know, peaks and there, there are peaks and valleys and magic results and I'm on a ridiculous hot streak right now. So hoping it continues for as long as it can. Do either of you want to say anything? I felt like a moment where I thought Spencer was going to jump in. I just still want to. No, I, I, it's interesting. I, I think that your questions that you're about to ask are going to cover some of my stuff and I have some questions, but I want to give the full time to Connor first. Of course. Yeah. So I, I guess Connor, one of the things that I think about when I think about you and as a magic player, and if I had to describe you to somebody and like, kind of say like, what is like Connor's biggest strength, you know, like what is the thing that sets him apart from a lot of magic players? Uh, I would say technical play. I think you're really precise at the table mm -hmm. and you like don't miss triggers and you're really good at attacking and blocking. And is that something that's always been the case with you? Is that something that you had to sort of work on? What is kind of your whole spur of that? And like, how would you maybe suggest about working on that for players who maybe that's something they're kind of struggle with? Cause that is, you know, one of the bigger aspects of the game. So I think that something that I do, and this is maybe something about mindset we can talk about later is that I always am really, really active about looking for mistakes and some of that came from um, some not good places, I'll be honest with you. Like I've definitely been way too hard on myself and called myself some pretty horrible things for you know simple mistakes that just happened. It took me a long time to internalize that they're just part of the process. But being active about looking for them and never really thinking that like you played a perfect game because that's just kind of fake. I, I think that um, one of my biggest strengths in Magic is that I play whatever I think the best deck is. And that leads to me playing the same deck for a long time. So I've been playing this mono green deck since April. I played a lot of um, KCI, a lot of hammer time at the end of last year. And so I would always play, just get a lot of tournament reps with the deck. You know, I, I think there's a difference between playing a deck in leagues to get ready or playing a deck in FNMs to get ready versus playing a deck in tournaments. And so I think that consistency and kind of taking the time to really learn something deeply was a big help for me as well. Mm -hmm. When you talk about the difference in tournaments, that might be something that for some, so, you know, some listeners, it's, it's hard to think about too with how big Magic mm -hmm. is, but there's this whole new age of our like arena Zoomers who are starting to step into Pioneer and Modern as, you know, things are starting to open up as, you know, COVID regulations and we set, settle in. What is sort of that difference and how would you describe that to someone out there that you can sort of tell once you've done it? How would you describe yeah. that? I think the difference is kind of all mental for me. So I've got my setup here in my living room where I've got my laptop here and a monitor connected to it. And so when I'm playing Magic Online or when I'm playing Arena, Twitter's open, YouTube's open. And I know that it shouldn't be, but it's really hard to turn that stuff off because it's addicting. And so I think in a tournament where you're just able to be in the zone and focus and really have all your attention just devoted to this one thing means that you're you're much more able to notice mistakes and you're much more able to like think about the things that you know you need to be thinking about. I honestly it's really just an issue of focus for me. I wanna highlight this a lot. Um you've said two things. One of them we actually covered during the always improving segment before you came on, where I talked about slowing down the game and, and technical play and um so I wanna get into that, but I actually wanna cover what you just said even more about tournament reps and then about kind of this whole like how the the conditions in which you're put under to play the game can be vastly different. Um, and something that happened to me, uh, I went to a, an event for Super Smash Brothers Ultimate where I lost a game that I was ahead in that mm -hmm. would have been 
like a pretty big win for me. Like when you think about like how Smash is and like you know getting your first win ever at a major, um, where people were screaming, like screaming multiple feet away from like just a few feet away from me. Yeah. And um, one of the one of the things that you just talked about is like this idea of you understand that it, it, you shouldn't have Twitter open, you shouldn't have YouTube open, you shouldn't have these things open. And when I was preparing for my last uh, RCQ, um, where I was like, you know what, I actually do want to win this season. It's really important to me. I actually put on convention noise on my oh, headset really? while I played Arena. And mm-hmm. I, I'm i kind of curious, like, have you thought of doing anything like that? Or do you just, are you able to compartmentalize really well? So something like that, I'll, I'll say that sounds like a really cool idea. I might try that. Usually for me, what I do is I'll put it, I'll have a song that I'm liking these days. Usually it's like something slower to try to get myself like to breathe and focus and not be rushing everything. I'll usually just put one song on repeat to try to get myself into a zone. Um, Back in my I'm day, Connor, someone... we were allowed to listen to music during the event. So I would have during a song okay. for the event yeah. in my headset that I would I won I won a state championship and qualify anyway. Uh, they you, changed the rules. You can do it again. Can can you really? Yeah, yeah. can. Yeah. They oh, changed man. like two years ago during during COVID. So I knew I I knew that, but then a Fashion judge told me to make a big comeback. Hold on, I I actually <laughs> might. Uh, I actually was told I actually tried this at a, a peep, an RCQ like the first season and was told no. Yeah, you can do it. I. Jim Davis was doing it like at the SCG and I think the RC as well. Connor, my life just Yeah, I didn't changed. learn until I was at SCG Philly, but that is apparently the case now. You can anyway have, keep, keep I would saying still, like... still say one ear but in guys. If you're yeah. on this podcast, probably don't listen to magic while you play magic. You will pay a lot more attention to what's going on if you're just listening to what your opponent's saying and communicate better. That's my two cents. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go buy some uh, earbuds. Let's go. Anyway, keep going, Connor. I don't remember where we were. I, I usually just put um, some note. Usually when I'm like playing an online PTQ or something like that, something that lets me slow down and breathe and just kind of get into that flow state. I'm not, I'm not the person who's got like the pump up jams on that'll, that'll get me playing too fast and then I'll make more mistakes. So would you say you're a, a, a slow and like technical player there? Cause like you just mentioned how, Oh, I'm playing too fast and getting away from it. And, you know, we also just were talking about sort of the precision. Is that like something you actively mindfully do is slow down and make sure that you're not missing something there? What does sort of like the turn process look like to you? It's something that I try to do. And I especially do it in like high stakes matches or matches where I'm against, I know I'm against somebody good. Like you saw, I had a turn against Jesse yesterday where I was trying to figure out if I should play around Brutal Cathar or uh, Brave the Elements. And I tanked on that for like three or four minutes because I knew you know, I've got the heuristics for my early turns down, and usually I just play based on. Um, usually, I just play based on. I, I won't call it like instinct, but I've played enough of the games by the time I get to the tournament that I just kind of do, which I don't think is a good habit for me. So I think that when I am actively trying to play well, I like to slow down. I like to think through everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was a great moment. If you haven't seen this match and coverage, it was one of the better NRG moments ever. You should definitely check it out. It's up on their YouTube channel. Um, but for technical play, too, I know I keep harping on it, but I think it's, like, such a huge part of the game. I'm curious, do you sort of agree with the assessment here that we're kind of laying out? Like, how important do you think technical play is to actually playing Magic? Because I feel like in Magic content, there's so much stuff about, like, 
mm-hmm. oh, the theory and deck selection and the way to my, your mindfulness, you know, and we even did an episode on like mindset last week. But at the end of the day, it still is a game you have to play technically yeah. correct. How, how, do you, how do your feelings line up on this? So I keep a document on my computer, and part of this was inspired by uh, Abe's old Twitter account, where I think that your technical play is one of, um, it's something that's really hard to work on, but I think it's something that's really important to work on and be honest about, where I have made mis- like active mistakes where after the match I go and I think about the correct play that lost me a match double digit times this year. And a lot of those matches were playing for like top eight of SCG Philly and top eight of NRGs. And yeah, I think it's one of the most important things. I think, you know, things like sideboarding, deck selection, mental game are all really important. But I think that the best thing that you can do, you know, after you've made all those other decisions is try to slow down, think through all of your plays. And if you if you think you found a good line, try to find a better one. It's an old chess adage that I like. I like that. All right, so I guess my last big question on this, and I'll open up to Abe and Spencer, is so you mentioned like, you know, you found the good line, find the better line, and sort of that sort of improvement thing. But how would you suggest someone who is listening to this and it's like, I love what Connor's saying, it makes total sense, but how do I implement it into my game and my experience? Do you have any sort of tips? I know it's a very big question I just asked you. Yeah, so this is one that I, I recommend. Uh, I feel a little hypocritical because I don't do this as much as I should. If you play on Magic Online or if you play on Arena, recording your matches and going back and watching them and asking yourself if you would make the same play, I think is a really good one. And then if you're if you're playing online or even if you're playing like at the store or at a PTQ or something like that, or RCQ, I guess now, I, I think that just like having a friend watch and having them like ask after the match, like, hey, why'd you do that? Why are you thinking that way? I think that getting other people's opinions and seeing what they think games are about and then letting them force you to explain your reasoning for things is can be something that's really good can i add to this uh is that okay connor please i so for one i think that understanding how you take feedback and stuff is really important in this context like Mm -hmm. i'm the type of person that after a match would immediately want someone to be like hey what were you thinking during this turn but i have teammates that like actually at the end of the event would rather me have like a page of notes written down where we talk about things. And so understanding where you're at and like how you can do this uh, with your testing partners is like, it's how all of us improved. And then also managing your within yourself and with those around you, like how those type of interactions need to go to not just maximize for you. Right. You don't be like, Oh, your, your friend can't handle it when you ask them a question right after a match. It's like, well, that's their prerogative. Like, they're trying to stay in flow state and so it's easier if we have the conversation later and it's better for me because i'll get the most out of them and they'll get the most out of me and the same is true mm-hmm. in reverse like i'd rather you immediately tell me i made a misplay uh like i i want to know right away so that i don't I, I it can be top of mind for me and i i think that the advice connor just gave is like why those i don't know whether it's three people or whether it's eight people that you like trust in magic that go to events with you is so important. Uh, Connor, Abe, I'm sorry, (laughs) Abe Spencer, do you two have any questions that we do have some questions from the patrons that I want to ask Connor here and they relate to some of the stuff we already talked about, but I want to give you two a moment of question thing you want to talk about with Connor uh, to bring up now. Yeah. um, I just wanted to say that, you know, you talked about if we can circle back to really just your 
your process really includes for you identifying the best deck yeah and then playing it a ton you know like you said played hammer when it was like for its best great choice um mm-hmm. i remember actually spending some time in discord calls like watching you play some hammer mirrors and stuff in leagues and you've uh like when i see your process happen you know as someone who's in the same circles as you i really feel like you do a lot to um to get the touch and i think you're actually one of the more successful touch players i know when i talk about touch it's like the idea of some people are players who learn more by playing the games and really seeing all the scenarios and i think that really speaks to what you said about tournament practice um where like you get the experience playing the matches in tournaments that's the place where you're going to be playing the most focused and with the most on the line you're going to be the most invested that all that's really important to you um and then there are players who, you know, more like myself, can be more theory players and really don't mm-hmm. use as much touch in their process. What would you say is probably your biggest tip to someone who feels like they learn more from those games um, in order to get more of those touch tournament reps without being someone who, like, has access to, like, maybe they don't, they can't play the Magic Online prelims in their schedule, but they want to, like, emulate that feeling of really playing for something and really making sure that they're getting the most out of the games they are playing. Absolutely. And when I when I talk about leagues and, you know, playing on the arena ladder and stuff, I don't mean to disparage um, that at all, because I think that being able to play matches on your schedule is awesome. I think that the biggest thing um, is just making sure that you are playing magic and you are only playing magic in a, ha- having a moment where you only play magic. Like I've definitely had times where I played four or five leagues a day and I'm learning a ton from that. But those times are always when I am playing a game, I'm focused on it. And so whether that be I'm in a Discord call with somebody and we are two-headed giant, like talking about all of the decisions, or I just have my second monitor off, I I think that the big goal should just be to play some magic every day or every week where that is all you're doing and you're being deliberately like thinking about what you're trying to do. Uh, If... If you focus better when you're playing for high stakes like I do, that's wonderful. If you focus better um, playing, you know, for your $10 entry fee or for a mythic spot on the ladder, I think that's wonderful too. But just make, making sure that you can really dial in, I think is yeah, I think the that, best thing. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, something that I feel, especially when it comes to like magic podcasts, is that they kind of skew towards when you have a really good conversation with a player um, and really get to learn a lot from them, usually it tends to be towards players who are more theory-based. Like, I know I'm very theory-based. I know Mason's very theory-based. Um, and, you know, Spencer also has a really, really great grasp of magic theory. But getting a chance to talk to a touch player, I feel like for a lot of listeners who might also learn that way um, and really get to hear about their process is really great. So thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. I have I have a couple things I want to say. Um First of all, I don't know if it's been said on the podcast yet, but congrats, man. Thank you. Thank you. Like, a- actually, legitimately, can I ask, like, has it sunk in yet? Like, I obviously, we were talking to you on Monday. It probably hasn't, but, like, mm-hmm. did it? Nothing Nothing really feels different. So I've been thinking about this ever since me and Adam and Raja won the finals of Fort Wayne. I wasn't initially planning to play the um, the last tournament, the the Mundelein tournament, but and then I, Jesse was you know, too good. Spend... <laughs> um, I, I initially wanted to spend some time with my family over Thanksgiving weekend, and I called them, and I just said, "Hey, I've got this opportunity here, yeah, to be to be the player of the year." And they said, "You're going to regret it if you don't shoot for it." And so, yeah. 
I, I don't know if I would say, I, I don't know if it's going to sink in more than it has. Like my, my life doesn't feel like different, but I, I've been thinking about it for a while. So I think that's kind of part of it. But I think going into this weekend with the lead and never being, never really having my back to the wall, never being behind either of them made me, you know, I, I was ready for it. Uh, do you, do, when you think, I'm going to ask a really weird abstract question right now, Connor, but you like think about like five years from now, like, mm-hmm. eh, will this be, do you want this to be a moment of like, do you want this to be your peak or do you want this to be your springboard? Well, I would say that if you look at my magic story, it's been just a, a gradual build for the last, I started playing in, um, started playing comp rel in 2015, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just been kind of a steady build. And so I, I don't want this to be my peak. No, like I have goals for next year that are far, far bigger than this. I have never qualified for the pro tour. I've come within a single match of qualifying for the mocks. I, I think that qualifying for the mocks is probably my biggest goal right now on um, obviously the pro tour comes along with that. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that there are bigger and better things in the future. Um, if this is my peak, then I, I know that I've got, you know, it, it's a really big accomplishment and I'm proud of it. But I also know like thinking about how I've played this year, I know that I can play a lot better than I did. And so I, I know that I'm going to keep building. Awesome. Is there, I love to hear that. Is there somebody? I, I was just saying I love that. You, yeah. yeah. Is there somebody that inspires you? Besides Mason. If you say Mason, I'm gonna <laughs> actually just... end the call. <laughs> Interview's over. We'll just edit Mason's that out. Mason's definitely someone who I'm really glad has been uh, part of my magic journey. Um, I'm gonna take a few minutes to think about this one. That's okay. Do you know sometimes that I learn that I'm like the godfather of magic? And I didn't know it until all the people that are like, Mason did this, Mason did that. And I'm like, wow, that's weird. Me and Trey should like go get drinks a lot more often. You you birthed Mason. From, I know. We're just like the Mason. From a, from a we're the Mason daddies. And like, into, into dude, and when he messaged me, it was the weirdest. We're going to edit all this out, but like, he messaged us like, what is this guy asking to do? And he was so bad at it, he got fired. Like, <laughs> but I think know, that I would. Sorry, are you ready? I, I think I think I'm ready. Um, okay. I was trying to think if I if I had an answer that wasn't uh, this. It can so be this. It can be this. I'm just that, kidding. But... To be clear, Mason's no, actually I... one of my best friends. I'm just kidding. You can say Mason. I I know I know. Ed- edit what I just said out. Don't include that. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I know that he I know that he won't get a swelled head. But I would probably have to say uh, my friend Will Kruger Xwell. Um, that's cool. Mox champion earlier this year. Previous NRG player of the year. He's someone who I've probably worked with him on Magic more over the last two years than anybody else. And it's just really been a privilege to see his process at work. He's someone who doesn't really settle for doing things the wrong way. Like if you're if you're like deliberately testing and like start messing around, he'll he'll like try to get you back on track. And he always wants the best. And so that's something that really inspires me. I think he goes about things the right way and is also just really great friend, fun guy, great player. So yeah, he's someone who 
I would say that he inspires me some, but he he pushes me a lot to be better. That's awesome. awesome. Uh, I have one final question. Um, who who's better at magic, you or Abe Stein? Uh, I believe Abe Stein is better at magic than I am. It's gonna stay that way. Wow, Abe Abe feels it. He's like, Abe's like. I'll say, I think I've lost to Connor, I think, every time I've played against him. And it's uh, been particularly I am, close. Um, I am 2-0 against Abe Lifetime. I think it's 2-0 we played, yeah. we played in early SCGs. Neither match was close. Um, one, I, I remember, God, the first time, this was my very first invitational. We were playing at the very bottom table because we were 0-3 on day two. And you registered Jeskai Control in that tournament. And Jeskai Control was not capable of beating my Blood Gast strategy. No, Dredge was not a winnable matchup at all. No, I, in fact, all. forgot I even played against Connor in this one. I do remember we played in a in a match in... Um, mm-hmm. where Cleveland. Was it? Yeah, it was in Cleveland, where I started 9-0, and then I lost my first round of the day to yep. Zach Allen, actually, who was playing the Esper Control deck. <laughs> and then you were playing Phoenix. I felt like I was so favored, and it just that game yeah. did not wind up being close at all. That I, tournament was honestly a really big level up for me where I started out one and two and then I had my back to the wall. I was down a game to boggles, which I didn't feel like I could win. Um, and then I just like was ready to tell bad beat stories to my friend friends as I was sideboarding. And I'm like, come on, stop doing that. And then I didn't lose again until Zach Allen beat me at 11 and two playing for top eight. Hold on. That literally was like one of the things that we talked about like two weeks ago on this podcast. And if you didn't just listen to that just now where there was a mental check that Connor made that helped him, you got, you got to listen to that. So uh, once again, Connor, congratulations. Those were the questions that I had for you. I really appreciate you coming on. So yeah, before I throw it to the Patreon questions, I want to bring it up since Spencer kind of brought it up between Aver Connor and Connor earlier joked about Jesse versus Connor. And if you don't want this to go on the main show, Connor, we don't have to. Connor, what's in front of you right now? Uh, and why are we bringing this up so much? What, what did you okay. post to Twitter right before we went live? If you don't mind sharing with the listeners. So before I posted to Twitter, um, a, a couple weeks ago, some people were saying like that there was discourse about, are you better than me at Magic or not? And our, our friend Kane Reinhardt said, I don't want people voting in polls. Tell me. Yes. Why. I loved that. And so I did. And most friends either said, I think we're equal or I think that we're better than you, that I'm better than you. And I'm like, cool, good. And then I said, I want to be better than all of these people. And so I'm going to remind myself of that whenever I sit down to play a match. And so behind me on this wall, I have some tweets printed out of, for example, Dominic Palercio responding with last year's NRG leaderboard, where he finished two points above me to qualify for the last spot at championships. So... That is, and is he going to the championships this year? He is not, no. He also, didn't, he also didn't play half of the events. Like, he deliberately chose not to, but it is interesting. Add that part out. Add that part out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's staying in. That's, that's going to stay in. I got I to gotta no. say something. Just from, like, uh, there's, like, such a huge swath of our podcast listeners that don't have the NRG. They don't – like, they're like me. They, they live in this mm. part of the U.S. Um, and the – there, I think there's a level of frustration that comes from that type of discourse. Yeah. Do I think right now that I am better than Mason Clark? No. I don't. I think I think Mason's better at matchup than me right now. Do I think that if Mason and I got the same level of events all the time, that I would be better at Mason Clark? 
Yeah, Mason, I do. And like the thing is, you can travel maybe. <laughs> you get two kids. Come on. Uh, I don't know. Spencer, you have access to Magic Online, don't you? I do. I actually was thinking Magic about that. Magic Online is do, much hey, higher quality. Fun fact: that's actually a point. <laughs> that was going to be my next always improving segment next week. You can't ruin the podcast a week later. Uh, but but I I think that so something to think about is like. Taking the opportunities in front of you is really important. Um, and Connor, I really want to congratulate you for doing that with the NRG because so many people believe that Magic was dead with the end of the SEG circuit, with the end of GPs, with the end of whatever. And I hope that we can be... Ah, oh, man, people are going to hate me for saying this. Leave the comment. Just tell me you how much you hate me. But we can be melee. Like, we can be Smash Bros. Like... We're never going to die. I will always, like, I was the one that invited, that wanted Connor on this show, that wanted to change the episode, because I believe in this. I believe in this. I, 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 you deserve it, man. Like, you deserve somebody to prop you up. And I, I hope you know that. I hope that it, it that, that no, like, you're going to get some comment about how magic is dead and, like, you're, 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 your accomplishment is diminished and just tell them to shut up or don't tell them actually don't do that. But just know that, I, that, that there are the people that are in the know, know that you crushed it. If those people want to say something to me let them say it. Um, I did this for me. Like I did it cause I thought it would make me happy and it is. And if other people are happy for me, I really appreciate that. If other people think that eh, it's just NRGs, cool, screw you, come out here and do it. But I, I did it for me. Awesome. So for our patrons, Mikey asks, what was the biggest obstacle you had to overcome magic-wise this year? Magic-wise? Was it Jesse? Because I feel like there's like a theme that it was no. Jesse. <laughs> two and one on the year against Jesse. Okay, do you really want me to get into this? I'm I don't know. Because... I don't know if it'll make the episode, but I feel like I'm missing a joke between the three of you, and I don't like it. So... Jesse and I have been trading barbs a lot of different places today. Um, she's like, we've been texting. She's been like, okay. tweeting at me, stuff like that. Where th there's been this is some, not making the episode, by the way, because just to be transparent. But you can finish for the for the the patrons that watch it post. Okay. Um, Jesse thinks that she's better at magic than me, or thinks that we are the same at magic. Is what she said two weeks ago, and I think that. Jesse is very, very good, and I think that her ceiling is very high. Yeah. I think that she does not have the experience playing Magic Online tournaments or large two-day events yet. Sure. Because I think that those events are significantly harder than NRGs. I think that she would have success in those places, but does still have a ways to go. Is that the, is that the whole bit? The whole bit is that... The whole bit is that, yeah, they're friends, and they're both in the running for this thing. I love it. There's a differing opinion of who's better. Yeah, and it, who, who cares, right? Like, it doesn't actually matter. You know, I feel like, that, man. Yesterday, like, Mason, I played better. Tomorrow, she might play better. I don't get to be a red beard guy because of Mason, so I, like, I feel this. I get it. It's, it's understandable. Yeah. No, that there's that there's no, like, joke there or anything. What, what is the biggest obstacle, ready. just so that it's easier to edit? Okay. Uh, th this is something that I'll I'll need to think about. That's okay. Take a second.
I would say that my biggest obstacle was probably the modern format. Modern is something that we we played modern most weekends, and I just never really, really figured it out. I, I jumped around between decks a lot. Like I started out the year playing Death Shadow, and then I moved over to Yorion Piles. And then by the end, I was playing like some Hammer, some Breach. I just never really found like the deck I completely clicked with. Uh, the deck that I enjoyed the most, Underworld Breach, is just obscenely difficult to play and I was messing up most of my games with it and so I put it down for the last event and so I think that modern was just during the Yorion days I really didn't enjoy the gameplay and so it was like difficult to prepare whereas pioneer I think is awful gameplay right now but I enjoy it a lot like I, I just enjoy playing mono green even though I recognize that it is objectively terrible magic how do so you I, I think yeah just finding my niche there how do you approach that? Like modern's your biggest weakness because you know, you're not finding your footing, but like mm -hmm. what do you what do you do there? I mean, like I said, I, I changed decks a lot. Like if I if I felt like one deck wasn't particularly good, I just kind of, you know, moved on to the next one. Sometimes that was because something got banned in the case of, you know, Loris and Yorion. Um Honestly, what I did was I didn't prepare very much for modern tournaments. Like we had high stakes modern NRGs and I just said, okay, I'm just going to copy whatever 75 good player X tweets out and then go from there. Like it, it wasn't a good thing that I did. I, I just kind of tried to wing it and it did not show in the results. Like the results weren't very good because of that. No, that's all. Thank you for your honesty there. That's a big one. Uh, Kyle Reichert asked, what was your most significant moment from this year that led you to believe that you could achieve the goal of player of the year? The honest answer was talking to Piper and Ellen Bogan and Bernal and finding out they weren't coming to the last two events of the year. <laughs> but because, you know, a, a six person race was much harder to win than a three person race. I, I think it was the team tournament with um, Adam and Raja where we got second place in Fort Wayne, both because that got me enough points to be in the race but I also just think that up until, you know, the finals, which we finished at like 11 p.m., I felt like I was just playing really good magic all day. I, you know, I, I kind of made jokes before about I'm the best green player in the room because I had so many hours on the mono green deck. But that was a tournament where I just felt really good about my play. And, you know, I made some small technical mistakes and stuff, but that, that was one of the first times where I was thinking about um, – the broader strategic game more and kind of thinking about how the pieces of my deck fit together and why I was winning the games and especially like what my plans were. I, I was planning ahead more in that tournament, I think, than I usually did. So just being more more in tune with what was actually going on in the games. I love it. Here's our last one from Evan. And this one is kind of a, a bigger one to so take a second if you need to, but I, I'm knowing how you are in magic and your sort of approach towards things, I think you're going to like this. Connor, have you heard of a fearless magic inventory? I, I believe we talked to you remember Pornhub. All right. So they went uh, you to do uh, <laughs> two goods and two bads. And I would love to hear it. Feel free to take some time. But two things, if you haven't heard this before while Connor's thinking, a fearless magic inventory is kind of looking at yourself and being honest and willing to share with the world sort of like two th some things you're good at at magic and some things you're bad at at magic. And it's actually, if you want to hear more about this, we had an episode about a year and a half ago when Abe first joined from the first episodes he and I did together. It's episode uh, four of Abe. 
for those episode four of Apes that long ago. Yeah, oh, that would be about ninety episodes back from yep. now, roughly. Yeah, I actually, I actually so if, you're, if you're interested in that, while you're listening, to, while Connor's thinking about this, uh, I did a a a deep dive into the history of Abe on CC <laughs> this last week. And we, we owe Abe, like, a congratulations. Mm-hmm. Like, Abe, Do dude. Like... Oh, go ahead. No, you go, you go. No, I was just going to say, like, uh, I, had, I had to go digging for, like, the pre-Abe stuff. And I feel like you didn't ever get your credit for how much you've contributed to the show. Um, and this actual this question made me think about that. So it's funny this question, and this doesn't make it on the show. Um, this they, question is because I was talking to Evan today because he we've been talking about setting up coaching sessions for a while. He's actually pretty local to me. Um, we've like gotten dinner off the last couple of RSQs I've gone to in his area down in Virginia, and he was like, "I'm tired of being stuck on on like the hamster wheel. I'm st- I feel like I'm in a place where I care about the results, and I don't like that I'm not getting them, and I don't like that my like I care about the play, but I can't get there. I don't know what I'm doing wrong." And I was like dude, like, this is where you should start so that we can have a productive session and, like, really get at it. So I think he's been thinking about it a lot, and so I was really, really happy to see him ask this question. So I think it's it's one that every Magic player should ask themselves from time to time. And I know that um, also behind the curtain, Mason asked me, he told me he actually went back and looked at his from when we did that episode mm-hmm. and was like, I feel like I've been crushing it. And I went back and looked at mine, and I was like, I think I've really crushed it on, like, five or six of the like you know 15 or 17 things that i had in my in my things i'll put i'll put that episode i'll put that episode in the show notes just so that people can listen to it mason what were we going to say before connor answers yeah what's funny is i was driving to work this morning and i couldn't remember what the word for this thing was called but i just randomly remembered before i even had put out the tweet like or the the discord message like hey connor's coming on or whatever and i was like what's that thing where we listed the stuff with a because i know i saved it in my google drive as what it's called, but I have no idea. And I was like, I'll talk to Abe about time when we record the episode. <laughs> and it, it just popped up, and I was like, oh, that's it. But yeah, Connor, do you have your answer? I do, or at least the startup one. So I, okay. I did my, I first learned and did my first fearless magical inventory. I was probably 15 years old. It was probably the summer of 2014 because I had just learned what the Pro Tour was. And I was trying to top eight and get store credit for my first FNM. Like I was just going 2-2 at FNM every week. And I, I really wanted to you know, do better. I, I think that the two things that I do well, I think one thing that I really actively try to do is seek out feedback from people, whether that be my friends or other you know, players who I know and respect or random person at the tournament who has opinions on how I play the game. Like if, if you think I did something wrong, I, I want to hear about it. Like I, I want to seek feedback from everybody and try to learn because I, you know, definitely think that everyone has a perspective of how they approach magic that's going to be different from mine. And I think that even if I disagree or if I think that what they think is incorrect, I can probably take something away from it. I think that the second thing that I do well is that, oh crap, I had an answer. Uh, let's let's go back and forth. And so I'm going to do, um, that, that's the first thing that I feel like I do well. One thing that I feel like I don't do well is don't I play Don't crap fast. sandwich yourself, man. Come on. That's, I mean, you can, but. <laughs> uh, I, I think one thing that I, I need to improve on is that I, I play fast. This is something I've struggled with since I was 15, where if I am not super focused and I don't force myself to slow down, I'll just make whatever play is the most instinctive. So, so 
For example, with Mono Green, like yesterday, it's like, oh, I'm facing a big board. I'm going to slam Cavalier of Thorns. And then I made myself stop and think about it. And I'm like, wait, Jesse probably has Brave the Elements in her hand. Let's think about what to do about this, where normally I would just be like, yeah, Cavalier of Thorns, if she has Brave, she has it, that's unlucky, whatever. And so I think that like playing too fast is one that I don't do well. Um, something that I think that I do well is I beat people on the deck registration sheet. Uh, if someone thinks that a deck is too hard or, you know, they just don't like playing it for whatever reason, I'm, I'm pretty agnostic about this sort of thing where some people will be like, I just don't enjoy playing aggro decks or I don't enjoy playing combo decks. I, I enjoy playing combo decks more than other things, but I'll, I'll play just about anything. And so I will do my best to learn whatever the best deck is. Like I did my best to learn KCI when that was the best deck. I, I obviously love Hogak when that was the best thing to be doing in modern. And so I, I think that just playing better decks than other people and not having to outplay people because my deck is just really powerful. is something that I started put, posting a lot more results when I did that. And then something that, this is related to all of the others, that was a really big struggle for me, especially this year, was that I really beat myself up badly for mistakes that I was making um, to the point where like, I would write them down and I would go back and obsess over them and think that like they defined my worth as a person or whatever. And I realized that that was just not true. And that, well, basically I realized that even if I do think that's true, I need to act as if it's not true because I'm not going to stop making mistakes. I'm not smart enough for that. And if I stop, like, if I try to stop making mistakes, what's going to happen is I'm going to stop looking for them. And I think it's always important to look for them but not beat yourself up about them. So that realization came after I played probably the worst match I played all year. It was on camera against Justin Brickman playing for the top eight of Newark, where I was just out of it and I didn't know what the games were about. And I just made a lot of mistakes and just spent the entire car ride. My um, my friend who I drive to events with, Adam, probably was miserable for these two hours. But I just spent the entire car ride beating myself up for it. And I just realized like that's not a productive thing to do. It's more productive to identify why they're happening and you know identify what they are, why they're happening, and then try to just not make them again in the future without making it personal. Awesome. Well, Connor, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we say goodbye, Gak, to you, where can people find you if they want to find you? And where can they do that? Who's your sponsor? Everything in between. What do we got today? Uh, if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Malali Connor. I tweet about mostly magic there, a little bit of NBA. I'm a big Pistons fan. And then I write articles for riwhobbies.com. Um, big shout out to my sponsor, RIW Hobbies in Livonia, Michigan. They are a big reason why I'm able to do what I do and play all these tournaments. So big thank you to them. Awesome. Connor, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you. Congratulations once again on Player of the Year. If you all want to watch Connor play, you can check out the NRG Champs the next year at some point. I'm sure we'll hype that up when the time comes. And we can see if you can get the back-to-back -back Player of the Year and the Champ. It'll be very exciting to see, Connor. So good luck in that. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Mason, thank you so much for that, man. Like that, first of all, behind the, behind the curtain a little bit, like I missed Mason and Abe last night pretty late. It's like, Hey, let's just switch to this episode. Um, and Mason, you, you got this booked and I, it, it means a lot. I, 
I don't think it go like enough times on podcasts like this people get recognition for their contributions and you you made that guest possible. I just want to say thank you. Oh, no problem. I was happy to do it, you know. Um it was cool and you know, uh you know, like selfish I think mean, we didn't get to talk about it there, but I got to commentate Connor's well, well, the first time when we thought he locked player of the year, and then we all realized, well, if he gets paired into Jesse, Jesse can no sir this draw because the draw hard lock Connor, and no one had thought of the conclusion of, well, what if those two get paired until it happened? Well, that's not true. Jesse technically texted me, and she said, I am in Connor's bracket. I need to hit him so I can hit player of the year. Uh, and when that technically that happened, the idea sparked, and uh, it was a, a really crazy moment. And then getting to watch their match and sort of that happen uh, as two friends and everything was a, a really awesome experience. And so I, I was happy to have him on sort of, you know, culmination of all his hard work and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Connor has done a lot of work to really improve his game and really improve his mental game too. Like we talked about last week and he mentioned on the show, uh, when I first met Connor, he was really beating himself up over mistakes. Um, to And he mentioned some there. Uh, and it's good to see him sort of be able to push past that at least in the moment in the tournament and keep going even when, he makes some, you know, game, almost game losing mistakes. He doesn't give up now. And it's just awesome to see that growth. So I was great to have him on, basically. Awesome. Uh, we're not going to do Patreon questions that we've already answered three of them, I think, on the show this week. Um, if you want to enter the YouTube contest for questions, uh, head on over to YouTube.com, leave a comment on one of the episodes. Uh, if your question gets answered, um, and it, it, it wins that month, you know, we'll give you $20 store credit to pureemptygo.com. That's not true. It's actually, that's our sponsor. Uh, it is actually their sponsor at mptgotraders.com that you get credit to. So leave a comment, let us know, let us know your questions. We, we get some good ones, um, but we want to make sure that we're promoting our sponsor that way. Uh, really quickly, uh, it's been a while. People have actually asked me about it. Where is common knowledge? Uh, Life life changes happen for people, and we we respect that on this network. We understand the things that are real for people, and uh, they're coming back. They they recorded an episode just recently. They're coming back. Common knowledge is coming back, and we're excited for it. I also got the question about Mythicast. Mythicast is also coming back. Um, I actually text Michaela today about our return, so stay tuned for that. But also check out Sam's podcast. I think that. Uh, we don't we don't say enough about how cool it is to have like a top five drafter all time ever on our network of podcasts but it is so cool every time i listen to it every time i see the feedback if you want to get better at draft i i think that it's it's up there it's it's the way to do it so I mean, personal testimony i'm a lifelong draft guy draft is what really got me hooked on playing magic and like, even among my peers, I think I'm one of the better limited players that like are, are in the circles I'm in. And I learn so much from listening to Sam's podcast. And I think that it's one that no matter the level of which you're approaching limited, if you're a brand new drafter, I've, I've had a ton of people um, who are not drafters who are qualified now for, uh, for the pro tour and are like, I need to learn how to draft. And I'm like, that is the place where you're going to learn. It is by far the best limited podcast it, it's um, so cool because he he does it from like this really cool perspective of like here's this archetype but here's how this archetype is different from the format here's how this format is different from other like he breaks it down so well so it's it's unbelievable um if you want to support the show and don't want to go to patreon.com slash ccmtg give it us a like 
Give us a subscribe uh, and give us a review. You can review us on none other than the Spotify now. I remember when this podcast first went to Spotify, Mason was giddy. He was like, yo, guys, we're on Spotify. Uh, And now, Mason, they can review you on Spotify and give you 6.2 stars out of 5. Heck yeah. That's what I love to hear. 6-2, baby. Pushing for six, pushing for six, six three though. <laughs> Always improving. If people want to support, if people want to find you, I should say, Mason, where can they do that? Uh, they can find me over on Twitter at Mason E Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can find me over at Card Kingdom each and every week writing articles there. You can find me on the NRG coverage. Uh, you can find that on YouTube or on twitch.tv slash the NRG series. And I feel like I'm missing one. Oh, you can reach out to me for coaching and everything uh, via Twitter, like we just talked about there, Mason E. Clark, or my email, MasonEClark at gmail.com. Uh, and we can set up a coaching session. We can work on anything that you want to work on and make sure that we're a good fit. So those are the places you can find me. Abe? Yeah, you can find me over at uh, twitter.com slash more nothings, and my DMs are open for inquiries about coaching. Um, yeah, hit me up. We can set up a time, and I can help you out. You can find me at Spencer13H. You can find me on the Mythic Cast podcast starting next year. You can find me at uh, the Smash Through podcast as well as the Need to Nerd podcast. And I'm, I'm out of a job. I have an extra time for coaching. I posted this on Twitter, but um, and I appreciate those who've already reached out. Um, I, my goal is to help people qualify for the Pro Tour, cash their um, larger events, You know whether that be NRG or SEG. Um, or understand magic theory. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, Oh, some of this stuff went over my head. Um, I, I feel like I am actually a pretty good fit for helping you understand the things that are said on this type of podcast. Um, you know, I, I, I have helped people qualify for the pro tour in the past. I've helped people cash their, their events. So, you know, I have, I have history of this. Um, so thank you everybody so much for listening. Go ahead and make some, Oh, I, I meant to do something, and I'm so sorry to, to end it here. I wanted to give a shout-out to a, one of our listeners, someone already coaching with, Samantha Murphy. Uh, she topped Ford Eternal Weekend this past weekend playing Legacy, uh, and congratulations to her. Absolutely crushed it playing Delver. Normally doesn't play Delver. Really working on improving her range this year, uh, and it's been awesome to see that happen. And it was just great to you know log on Twitter and be like, oh, dang, she's got one of those cool ponders now. And I love that That's she's gonna sick. play with the ponder. She's gonna she's gonna use it. She's not selling it. She's putting it in her legacy. That's deck. just her ponder she's forever. That's her ponder. Never getting rid I of it. I love that. There's only like 32 of them in the world. It's so sick. So congratulations to you, sir. That is gonna do it for this week's episode. Thank you everybody so much for listening. Thank you so much, Connor, for coming on. We'll see you guys on next week with another episode of CCMTG.